Hi, thank you for joining me today. My name is Martin Morris. I'm the Head of Distribution for Premium in Australia. As part of our Thought Leadership Program, we're very lucky to have built a relationship with Business Health through an independent organisation offering advice and solutions to the financial services sector. And they do they offer solutions targeted at individual advisors all the way through to large institutions. Our first research piece led to our very successful uh, thought leadership content, which we call Real Impact of Managed Account. And that looked at proving and disproving the myths around managed accounts. And that was showcased at a number of industry conferences, dealer group PE days, and more intimate webinars with advisors and had really, really good feedback. And luckily, we're um, joined today by Terry Bell, one of the principals of Business Health. So hello, Terry. Hi, Martin. Nice to join you and thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Right. No problem. Um, Terry, having seen the success of the first research piece, we were lucky to have sponsored your um, additional piece called Practice by the Numbers. And we're already seeing a great deal of interest in the research and have conducted a number of presentations when COVID's allowed us, of course, with a lot of interest. And Terry, the research utilizes industry benchmarks and practices and looks at it across seven key performance metrics. Maybe for the audience, could you perhaps elaborate on the seven metrics that you use and what some of the rationale is for creating the research paper? Yes, yeah, certainly, Martin. Uh, our company has uh, operated for a number of years and provided diagnostics to uh, business owners to assess how their business is tracking. Uh, uh, and in the course of that, we collect a lot of input of their data. So it's real live data inputted by practice owners. We simply from time to time, consolidate that data and produce uh, material thought leadership papers as the one that Premium has sponsored about practice management by the numbers, which is simply drawing on over 200 odd practices that have health checked their business over the last couple of years. Uh, we, we, we draw on things like average revenue, uh, profitability, client satisfaction, revenue per client, support staff, per advisor, all things that we know whenever we do presentations, our audience of advisors and business owners are very interested in. As much as uh, we'd love to talk about strategy and business planning and all that stuff, which is important, it's the numbers and the metrics that attract the most interest. Uh, and our sole objective here is to provide business owners with uh, an idea as to what is going on in the market how they're comparing, how they're tracking, a line in the sand really, for them to then go forward with their own uh, plans, knowing what's achievable in the market, basically. That's simply it. Right, and uh, I don't like to admit it, but having been in the industry for 30 years, it's fair to say financial services is an industry where if you're a participant, you're gonna have to accept change is coming at all times, and sometimes the pace of it is quite exhausting. So. Through your diagnostic tools and working with businesses through the research pieces like practice with numbers by the numbers, what do you guys see are the biggest challenges for an advice business today, particularly when you consider the multiple challenges that advice practices are facing and the increasing number of advisors looking to ex even exit the industry altogether? Yeah, well, that's the subject of a whole day, Mark. We can talk about all the challenges there, but uh, I, as I sit back and, and uh, look at what's happening, I think if I had to, the, the obvious issues are rising cost, cost to operate and uh, uh, succession. They're the ones that stand out and they're the ones that, uh, that are commonly 
referred to as uh, important, and they are. But I think that an underlying uh, issue relates to the client basis of financial planning practices. They are maturing, I can't say great because I've got plenty of that, uh, they are maturing uh, client bases. Over 50% of clients of the practices that we deal with are aged over 60 and they're retired. So the reasons why they got to work with a financial planner, accumulation protection, are moving towards retirement drawdown. So I think the growing demography of a client base represents a real challenge on two fronts for practices. One is providing services a maturing client base wants. Secondly, and often below the radar, is marketing to attract new clients. I think in many ways, as we've gone through the various changes we've seen over the last decade, I think marketing and sales skills have uh, sort of been placed on the back burner and uh, they're now going to have to come to the fore. Uh, I overlay all of that with, uh, I know it's a long answer to your question, but these businesses are very valuable. Every practice, whether it's profitable or not, has a value to it. So we encourage every owner to treat it as a business. It's got a value, respect it like that. And I think uh, that too few uh, owners do that and don't employ or utilize the services of an external business coach or a PDM or a BDM, someone they respect to provide objectivity to their operation, their business. It's every successful, I mean, we're in the Olympic Games time now, every person at the Games is going to have a coach. Why not every business owner? And they will help navigate some of these challenges coming the way of already very busy business owners. Mm. And um, thanks. And, and if you think about that from a COVID point of view, which has been particularly challenging, um, that, that really has significantly changed the way everyone's working. Um, you know, there is that large shift to working from home and sort of a hybrid model dependent on the COVID restrictions at any time. But there's been a monumental shift really for advisors in Australia, at least the need um, and benefits of adapting to this virtual meeting environment and dealing with clients online. And there's going to be some real positives that everyone's going to learn from that experience. Your research uses metrics around rent as a percentage of revenue and support staff per advisor. So we're looking at the cost of running a business. Yeah. What do you see as the, the operating model of advice changing as a result of COVID? Yeah, I think that's a that's a very topical uh, issue. Uh, the temptation is, and, and rent, you mentioned rent, comprises on average 6.2% of uh, a practice's revenue, so it's not in substantial amount of money. Uh, support staff to advisor, 1.1 support staff to an advisor. Staff are the biggest expense of a practice. Both those things are under challenge with a working from home environment. So I think, I certainly think as a prudent business owner, and I go back to our previous comment about it's a valuable asset here, consider as you go forward what will be the impact. Uh, I think there'll be, and you've also got to overlay that with what do staff want going forward, but working from home is very attractive in many respects for staff because obvious reasons, no travel, uh, greater balance of life or whatever, but uh, from our work in America, we've seen that even those businesses that are remote, remote 100% of the time with staff, require and suggest and encourage staff to come into the office on certain occasions for the interaction, the social 
interaction between people is really very important. So I think the temptation is to move out of the office, save the rent, and I think that's valid, but you lose the connection with people and not just staff, but clients. And I think clients from our research have been very accepting of uh, the virtual meeting as we're talking now. Uh, they accept that and understand that, but there is a danger of throwing that baby out with the bathwater and think that I'll always do this. And when we talk to clients, uh, a lot of clients are happy to accept it, but they do appreciate that interaction with their advisor face-to-face -face or a housing telephone call or whatever. So I think a real balance is required there uh, and that's what's going to be required. Uh, and I've got to say now, if I, I think working from home raises issues of compliance and cybersecurity. And I think they're the things that are sitting again below the surface, but will emerge if we continue to simply run the virtual model. And we've seen examples of it all around the country, uh, in America certainly, of uh, breaches and failures of, of uh, testing for cyber and IT, for example. Yeah. So there's some of the issues. That's interesting. And yeah. Obviously, one of the biggest things with businesses is profitability. And uh, Practice by Numbers talks that um, to 28% profitability for the average practice yeah. in Australia. Uh, I've got a sort of two-part question, and, and that is with all the change we've seen in recent years um, and, and looking at the results from your diagnostic, diagnostic reports, what pressure is on that number? I, do, do you predict it to go up and down or you know, how are you seeing it trending over the years? And the second part of that is what do you believe are the biggest influences, influences at the moment on reducing profit? Yeah, good questions there, Martin. Uh, that number of 28.2% has been what we call notional profit. For us to be able to provide meaningful benchmarking, we ask for total revenue and total expenses of a practice, but we assume $100,000 salary per every working owner. So that's the only qualification, but that allows us to create a notional profit figure. That number has been around 30% ever since we've been running our company. So I sort of had a mental block that says, is that going to be the maximum achievable for an average practice, 30%? Uh, and I don't think so, but I think over the years of where we've come from, I think that's been the standard. I think below that becomes a real issue in terms of uh, are you getting a real return on your investment and the time and the, and the money? So I think, hence, as a business owner, is a 30% return acceptable to me uh, and a number of uh, things will run to my mind when I consider that but I would think it's a bare minimum. I think uh, one of the impacts on improving that, I think scale has become a dramatic influence of businesses. We've got rising costs, compliance, uh, staffing, uh, our PI, technology, they're all costs going up. Uh, we haven't maybe kept pace with increasing our fees accordingly. So there's been a fee compression. So hence, there's a need to review fees and scale helps you do that and provide an, an effort to be able to control your cost even more, I think. So cost, scale, profitability, I think 30% is around the average. It needs to be higher, but you won't get there without a change of uh, uh, business model, hence maybe scales. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, um, 
we did a webinar with Steve Prenville at Forte yeah. Asset, and and he discussed that there's a bigger shift towards the EBIT model as, as valuations of business become more technical and that three times revenue is is not necessarily used as often as it as it was. But what he stated also in his research was that to get a similar three times revenue, which is what everybody's generic expectation is on their business uh, valuation, you need actually near 40% profit. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to be able to achieve the same thing. So it's quite a worrying figure. And and I'd assume talking to many people that most people wouldn't know that, you know, sort of have spent the time thinking about they're either they've thought about three times revenue or EBIT, but hadn't really thought about what the profit level would be to achieve the same thing or parity. So what do you see profit and other indicators and, you know, and your observation and thoughts at the moment about how that's going to affect succession and business sales based on your results? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, there's certainly been a lot of press lately about the 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 market of three two point five to three times, and I understand that. I've always favoured business health has always favoured an EBIT model for multiples, uh, simply because it's a business we're running. We're not running a a client book per se, although many people would present it as such. Uh, so I think EBIT's definitely a more sensible way to measure a business. Having said that, if you're the buyer of, of a business, uh, you may not be interested too much in how profitable business is because you're going to roll that into your business. So therefore, revenue and a lot of the elements around client uh, revenue and fees that become very relevant. So then the multiple becomes an issue. Uh, and I think that, that we don't see a lot of businesses at 40% or more. Not saying it's not right, but that's a big challenge for a lot of people. Uh, so I've always believed that if if you intend to sell your business, get ready to sell and prepare before you go to the market. So I think there's an issue for businesses looking to sell about presenting their business in the best possible light. Things like uh, uh, technology, compliance need to be presented, fee, revenue, demographics of clients need to be addressed uh, professionally before you go to the market. Uh, and I think the buyer will determine. The buyer who wants to buy a profitable business will look at EBIT. The buyer who wants to get a revenue stream to take into their own successful business may still be looking at how much is that revenue stream worth to me. But 40% is a bit not unachievable, but I think to get there, when we look at our database, businesses have to be generating upwards of $2 million to be able to generate a scale to get to a re- an EBIT model of 40% plus. So smaller business, I think it's just too, uh, it's too big an ask. So it's trying to get as close to 40, but rationalising your expectations as to what you might actually get moving forward. Yeah, exactly right. That's that's a good way. To, I, I think that, and I guess it's where we've come from as an industry, but this is a business you have, and there's a whole lot of things going on in this industry that are affecting business valuations and your succession. Uh, so you have to be across all of those things. And if you really intend to to exit the next five years, prepare now, do your due diligence on yourself, because someone else will do it on you, prepare your business, get an external perspective, i.e. get someone like a PDM or a BDM from, uh, who understands this market to give some advice and be prepared to present it in the right light. Uh, being full aware, fully aware that the buyer will do the same thing to you and do it before you have to. 
And I suspect that as we go through the next five years, and I guess that's all around education and all of that, uh, there will be a continuing exit over time of advisors uh, as well. Uh, and I suspect that purchases may not be always around and there'll be a need for transitioning as opposed to selling internally. So I think there's a quite a market opening up for hiring good quality younger people, training, sharing, and encouraging them to take over the business with an internal acquisition succession program. So I think there's going to be a move to that as well. Yeah, interesting, Terry. And um, uh, we've talked a lot about business. So, so if we now reflect a little bit on clients, which are arguably the most important stakeholder in a planning practice's value proposition and output, but often quite forgotten. And in fact, my time as a dealer group management, I was surprised to learn how many, how few practices actually did client surveys, which is another thing I know you promote through the CAT scan and are quite keen on. And in fact, plays a lot of part in given additional information for our research. So with the change in business and advice models, you know, we've got more access to technology, but you've got lots of pressure from external factors like, you know, legislation with FAS here and compliance. What are you seeing as in regard to the number of clients advisors are actually servicing and and, and how profitable they are to those advisors? Yeah, I think I would have to agree that the, the client base is clearly the clientele are clearly an extremely valuable asset to the business. Without them, there is no business after all. So it has been a source of uh, consistent frustration to us uh, at Business Health that not enough businesses will survey and seek feedback from their clients. Ever since we've been running our company, which is over 20 years now, I don't think that stat of practices seeking feedback from clients in a confidential, anonymous manner as to satisfaction levels has gone much past 33%. So it's, there's been a reluctance for whatever reason. The great irony is that uh, clients are more than happy to provide feedback to their advisor. And even a greater irony is, Martin, that they will, they will rate their own advisors very, very strongly. They, they like working with their advisor. They value the services they're delivering. So I think confidential anonymous surveys that, that can be benchmarked so you can measure your progress as a practice over time is good best practice. It's good as a business owner and we'd encourage it. It doesn't have to be a CAT scan, but it needs to be something. When we do valuations uh, for buyers or sellers, we always ask to see client satisfaction results. And if we're acting for the buyer and the seller hasn't got one, we'll do it for them just to prove how satisfied that client base is. As I said, the irony is, They'll rate their advisor very uh, uh, highly. They value the service uh, and they will refer their advisors. So uh, to the second part of the question, yeah, the average revenue per client uh, on, on, on our last database is $3,558 of revenue of fees per client. Uh, the question in my mind is always the same. Is that service being delivered at a profit at $3,558. And I'd encourage every owner to, uh, when they do their fees, review the fees every year. Cost of compliance, cost of IT, cost of everything goes up. Fees should go up regularly. Clients accept that and understand it. And more importantly, does the client value to the extent of $3,558 the service they're getting from their, uh, their, from their advisor? 
client satisfaction surveys will tell you that, but also uh, it's, it's up to the advisor to regularly communicate the value. And uh, it's not simply a value proposition, but demonstrating to me as a client that, Terry, you've got $3,558 of value off me this year because I've done whatever I've done. And, and given the complexity of this Australian marketplace, financials, it's a hard world. I can tell you, clients are looking for advisors. They're looking for advice. The onus is on the advisor to reiterate value and communicate it regularly. And you, you mentioned there about client satisfaction rating. As an industry, we sort of beat ourselves up regularly and get beaten up about bad practice. And unfortunately, the proverbial bad apple always tarnishes the majority of the industry who generally are ethical, hardworking, and let's say have the client interest at the forefront of their decision making, in my experience. A really important metric in this research is the client satisfaction um, rating of those who have a planning relationship. So as opposed to those who don't and throw darts, those that do have a planning relationship, the research shows that they rate them 4.23 out of 5, which is which is a very encouraging figure. So what do you guys at Business Health believe are the key factors to getting that right? And any final advice to the audience about how they might improve it? Yeah. Well, well you're quite right, Martin. Uh, that, that's a top quartile ranking, and it's, it's largely driven by the people factors. Relationship uh, viewed by clients of their advisor and the staff of the practice, two people things, aspects, are very highly rated. So hence, going back to one of our earlier discussion points about working from home and virtuality, don't lose the fact that clients value relationships. They're paying a lot of money for that relationship. So they do want to see you every now and then and whatever. So it's relationship. Uh, it is the quality of your staff and the empathy and uh, delivery of the services that you say you deliver. Ironically, communication is one of the poorer rated, we rate nine attributes in a in our CAT scan client survey. Communication is never highly rated. Uh, clients don't get our communication per se. Hence, I think the face-to-face or a, a, a verbal conversation is equally valuable. And I think the communication needs to be worked on. And I would encourage every practice to focus at least on a, I know review meetings are maybe an older way of looking at things now, but you've got to get in front of a client and tell them what you've done for the money you've charged. So I know, and, and nothing's changed in 20 years. We've had 45,000 clients go through our CAT scan. They've continually rated relationship the highest. They love their own advisor. They'll refer their own advisor, but the advisor's not asking. And therefore, the risk of it's a valuable asset. You're not checking in regularly with your most valuable asset. It's not best practice. So when you talk about, when you talk about communication, Yes. Is it volume of communication? Is it the quality and the type of communication? Uh, I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're talking about people self-serving on a internet, you know, your investor portals nowadays. So communicating investment reports is not really going to cut it. So when you talk communication, how do you think that's developed? Oh, I think it's, it's got to be, uh, uh, it's, it's, I think frequency, you've got to be in the client's mind regularly for the fees you're charging. But more importantly, it's got to be very personalised. I've got to know that uh, Martin Morris lives in Melbourne, he's in lockdown, he's got a couple of kids with schooling, uh, and I've got to know the ages of those children and uh, what's what's his plans for them. So I think it's depth of relationship, personalisation of it all, and 
and I've been around quite a while, and the, the very best practices, the best of, adv advisors, the best owners I've seen know intimately their client base. They know uh, that they like issues in their communication around uh, estate planning or aged care and aging client base. They are two things that clients are interested in. So if I was an advisor doing communication with my clients, I'd be check checking in on their estate planning and their uh, aged care concerns. Uh, communication around that, therefore, is a good example. Uh, and on the other hand, if I know the children, and I mentioned earlier on about marketing, uh, surely there's an opportunity for practices to start to really develop relationships, at least get to know the children of their ageing clients before it's too late. So I think it's communication, customised and frequent. And you're right, uh, I'm sick of seeing 10 investment reports saying the economy's up, the economy's down. They, clients know that. Communication could be about what are you doing for me? That's yes. as simple as that. Oh, great. Well, thank you, Terry. That wraps up our discussion for today. So I'd like to say thank you to you for your insights and, um, and your time. It's been a pleasure. I've appreciated it. And as you see, we're, we're strong believers in the need for good quality advice and those companies that promote it. So we're delighted to work with you. Thank you. And thank you to the audience for listening. Um, if you haven't, as a practice owner, looked at the business health diagnostic, I'd recommend it to you. Um, it was this tool and advisors contributing to that valuable data bank of knowledge nationally over a number of years that's led to this research and, and the couple of pieces we've done with, with business health and, and this one particularly practiced by the numbers. If you'd like a copy of Practice by the Numbers, please contact your local BDM. We'd love to um, get one to you and even have a deep discussion with you about content and how it relates to your business. Um, I do hope you found the session useful. And for myself and all at Premium, we thank you for listening. Wish you a safe and profitable financial year ahead. Thank you.